Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, from them into, uh, into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It is such a privilege to be able to come together and to be under God's word and to be studying it together. And I, I even just want to remind you before I get into God's word, my role up here is to be almost more like a table server who's coming around and going deeper into God's word with you. But we all play a crucial part in this moment of worship as we come underneath God's word and we listen to it. I'm listening as I'm preaching, and I encourage you to listen along with me and to listen to God's Spirit as we go to His Word. Before we jump in, just a couple of uh, quick announcements. If you go out to the welcome table, there is uh, a, a couple little things about uh, stuff a stocking that you'll see, and it's from a, a ministry called Soar International. I actually grew up down the road from the, the founders of that ministry, and they go over uh, to the Ukraine-Russian area. Uh, Russia, is, in particular, they've been doing it for many, many years now, and they specifically visit orphanages. And kind of, if you've ever seen Samaritan's Purse's uh, box ministry that they do, uh, it's very similar to that, except it's with a stocking instead of a box. And they have a region that they're focused specifically in. And this year, they'll be going over in January, visiting Moldova, uh, Russia, and then the, the hope is, is that they'll also be able to minister through that to kids who are in Ukraine as well. And especially with just all the, the war that's going on in there, it's just an awesome ministry to support at this time. There's information out on the welcome table. I believe that uh, if you want to get 
stockings over before they leave. Um, it'll need to be in before December 20th. So there is a website on there. Um, and I was trying to figure this out because you can actually write a letter to some of the kids over there. They got a little form. And I think the website makes it a little bit easier. So I'd encourage you, look at that. Um, a few other things. We're going to be starting the book of Matthew on January 1st. And we'll be doing that for the next couple of months, focusing on that book. And uh, January 22nd, we're going to do something, a tradition we've done for many years now called Thank You Jesus Sunday, where we don't do a sermon, but we open it up for people to share what they're thankful for uh, for Jesus in the last year uh, or more. And it's always a sweet time for people just to be able to, to share together. And with that, we'll be doing what we've called, we're thinking of a new name, but we call it Super Something Sunday, where we gather afterwards, basically a potluck, uh, that we come together, share a meal, and that'll be happening afterwards. Um, Last thing I just want to encourage, we got our gospel partnership forms, and if you missed last, uh, the last sermon we did in the Y Church series, I'd encourage you to check that out. I go into a little more ex- explanation of what that is and what it means, but the thing I want to encourage you on is it's our form of membership, but we want it to be an active membership, meaning that you don't fill out a form and get stuffed into a filing cabinet somewhere, but that there's growth goals for this next year, for 2023, for you to pray over and consider so that we as elders can be praying along with you, but we want you to incorporate the whole body, like whether it's your small group, your gospel community, or friends that you have that you're intentional about looking at this next year, how to grow closer to Jesus, how to live out what he's called us to be and do as his church. So those forms are also out on the table, and I would encourage you uh, to look at that as well. Uh, Let me pray real quick before we jump into God's word. God in heaven, I just thank you that we can be family here right now. Family because of the blood of Jesus. And so we just ask that you would move in our hearts. Help us to treasure this precious um, message that we are looking at in Luke. Uh, God, if it's grown stale in our hearts, reawaken us. Um, for the, if there's anyone here who has not come to saving knowledge of you, Jesus, I pray that, that, that today would be the day. Um, and I just pray, Jesus, as we celebrate Christmas this year and enjoy that, um, God, would you be front and center of our worship in this time uh, as well as beyond. And we thank you so much, Jesus, for your word, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, one other <laughs> announcement. Um, we are not doing a Sunday gathering on the 25th, so we encourage you guys to enjoy your families, or maybe Jesus has a ministry opportunity for you on that day, and I encourage you to uh, pursue him in that. Uh, but we are having a gathering on the 24th, so we're having a Christmas Eve gathering. It's going to be here. It's going to be with shelter, so I encourage come early and get some chairs because there's going to be a lot of people. It's going to be great. It's going to be 4 o'clock, so it's going to be our normal meeting time on Saturday the 24th. So I think that wraps it up for for announcements. I want to start off with a couple of stories about messages to set the tone for our sermon today. I was looking uh, earlier about messages and what stories came up about that. And this one struck me. It's about Bill Bresnan, who is 74, who has written a love letter every day to his wife, Kirsten Bresnan. 
and they've been married for almost 40 years. What that totals up to is more than 10,000 letters that he's written to his wife. And his wife, treasuring these notes that he's written to him, didn't just throw them into boxes randomly, but chronologically ordered them in boxes. Over 10,000 letters. She treasured these messages. So messages can speak of a deep and powerful love. Messages can also save lives and speak of victory. In World War I, which happened from 1914 to 1918, there were men who uh, did a role within the military as runners. And the reason they operated in this role is because there were other ways that, that messages could be get, gotten across, but at that time, the only way that a message could be clearly communicated had to be from the words of a man carrying the message. The messages were so important that they had to send at least two or three men out with these messages because if one of them got shot on the way over there, they had to make sure that that message, that precious, treasured message would get through because sometimes those messages could be the difference between defeat and victory. So as we look at Luke 2 today, we are looking at a treasured message, and that is just the main point today. The simple main point is treasure the message. Treasure the message because it is a message of glory, it is a message of hope, it is a message of a savior, and it is a message worth telling. And my hope today is it is so easy to walk into the season and get distracted by all sorts of things. Even in Luke chapter 2, there's angels, there's shepherds, there's Mary and Joseph, there's all the classic scenes that we love during Christmas time, but sometimes in the midst of that, we can forget that all those characters within this passage are pointing to one thing, one person, one message, and that is in Jesus Christ. So with that, let's open up to Luke chapter 2 that uh, Rick read for us. We're just going to start with the first two verses. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear." So this passage happens shortly after the classic that we know of, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7, where it announces the, the, the birth of Jesus. It describes what's happening to Mary and Joseph. And in that region, in that very same region, we have shepherds who are in the area. Most likely, they're coming down from the hills. It's probably post-harvest season. It's warmer out, and so they're bringing their flocks down to be able to, uh, be able to eat at night and to watch over them. It's just a pleasant scene to think about, and then all of a sudden we get this little note, this little note where it says that the glory of God shone around them with this angelic appearance. This is easy to 
gloss over, the glory of the Lord. We see the glory of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, and it's usually at these pivotal times within the story of God. One of those times is in Exodus when God's law is being given to his people, and you see God's glory come down upon a mountain. His glory comes, as you read through the Bible, it it can come as a cloud. It can come as a devouring fire. There can be earthquakes that happen when the glory of God comes in. We read about his glory filling the temple. Like this is a big deal that's happening. There's a reason that the shepherds are filled with fear. His glory can signify judgment on the unjust, promises for the undeserving, fear, protection, wrath. God's glory can show up in seemingly insignificant places It can show up on momentous occasions. But what we do know is when God's glory comes down, God is coming near to man. God is coming near to man. So this message that's about to come, it's a message of glory. So not only do we see that God's glory is present, but there's an angel there. Now, if you've grown up like I have in the United States of America, there are a lot of images about angels, and I just want to maybe steer you in a little better direction. Angels are not cute little cherub babies. They are not winged women, nor are they weak-looking men with blonde hair. It has a little light behind them. These are not angels. When you read about angels in the Bible, first of all, you got to take their name, angel, and what that means. They are messengers. But not only are they messengers, a lot of times when people encounter angels, they're in fear. They are on their face. They are not of this world. They are spiritual beings. And we read about how they are also warriors. They are warrior messengers. And while we do read about their clothing being described as white, it's more likely to be associated with how bright they are rather than the type of clothing they're wearing. And so I hope when you read this, it's not just this kind of like peaceful scene where it's like this soft glow that's going on. No, the glory of God has appeared and a warrior messenger is right before these shepherds delivering this glorious messenger. And this message, when a message comes with glory like this, it can often make us feel unglorious. And maybe even using that word glory, sometimes We don't have definitions that come to mind when we use words like that. It's one of those Bible words that we use often. But to give you a quick example, I've used this in the past, especially because we live in Alaska. If you want to know glory, think about the northern lights. Now, if you have anyone come up from the lower 48 who's only been up here for like five days, they'll get like a glimmer of green in the sky and be like, oh my goodness, that's the most amazing thing ever. And they're like getting their cameras out. And if you've lived here for years, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go back inside. It's too cold out. But when you get the aurora in full display where it's multiple colors and it's undulating across the sky, that is glory. And the reason it's glorious is because it points to something else. That's what glory does. It points to something greater. And the northern lights points to our creator, God, is what it does. And so when God's glory is being displayed to display how awesome, how majestic he is, how pure he is, how holy he is. For us 
and sinful humanity coming into contact with God's glory, the right response is like what we see with the shepherds, where there is fear. Because at this point, shepherds have no idea what's going to happen when God's glory comes in contact with sinful humanity. We see an example of this in Isaiah 6-5 where the prophet is in a dream and he says this, and I said, Woe is me for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God's glory meeting sinful humanity can be terrifying. And this should cause us to pause and think for a minute. It should cause us to consider this message. It should cause us to treasure this message and realize that there, it's calling attention for us. Sit up, pay attention. What's going on? Something major is about to go down. And because it's wrapped in glory, God is coming near to humans. And through that, We have not only a glorious message, but we have a message of hope. We treasure this message because it's a message of hope. Look at Luke 2.10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Fear not. That's a beautiful thing to hear from a warrior messenger who's just come down in front of you. Fear not. But in this story, think about who this angel is coming to. He's coming to to shepherds. And we're not given much detail about shepherds, and that's the thing I want to highlight. These guys aren't very significant as far as the rest of humanity, humanity is concerned. We don't even have their names They're a group of guys who are looking over their flocks. They're blue-collar workers. Other stories we read about shepherds is that shepherding was left to, like, the youngest kid because all the older siblings are off doing important things. You can read about that in 1 Samuel with David. Uh, And this is at best. Some people believe that these shepherds were pretty uncouth. They're kind of like your typical swearing, blue-collar type of guy who people didn't want to be around. Some people even called them thieves. We don't know for sure. And that could be, like, the worst. These guys just aren't very significant. And yet the reason this is a message of hope is because God chooses to send this angel to speak this message, this good news to them, and that it's for all people. Consider other people in the story, Mary and Joseph. And you can read about it in the verses just before this, how they've come to Bethlehem because there's a census going on that the Roman government has instated. <laughs> and they come to Bethlehem, and there's no room for them in the inn. Now that word inn can mean several things. It can mean a first century inn, and, uh, which wasn't one of the greatest places in the world. It also can mean guest room meaning there may have been family that they came down with or that were there, and there wasn't any room for them. And I don't know this for sure, but as I started thinking about it, and you understand Jewish culture and where Mary and Joseph are in at that point, they're still betrothed, which means to the parents of everyone else, Mary is pregnant out of wedlock. 
And when you're in that place, you're on the outskirts. People aren't looking favorably upon you. And the fact that, like, Joseph could have divorced, divorced her, and he didn't, and he's still keeping her around, which probably makes him look bad because now people are wondering, like, did you guys get together, and this is the result? Or people are feeling sorry for him because maybe she slept with someone else? Like, these are the people then that God is using to bring this message of hope. And what I love about this is this message then is for each of us. I need this message, and you need this message as well. And we see when we look at the story of God, the people that God draws near to are those who are humble, those who realize they are broken, those who realize, like, yeah, I don't got much to offer on the table. I don't have title, position, wealth. Those are often the people who are going to be open to this glorious news that we need to treasure. I love this quote from a band that I listen to called Crowder. He says this, there's hope for the hopeless, rest for the weary, help for the hurting. And this is what makes the message so powerful. It's a glorious message that should cause us to pay attention. But it is a message for all people, and we should see it as good news, as a message of hope. But most importantly, this message is about a savior. It's about a person. We treasure this message because it's about a savior, someone who came to save us. So going back to Luke chapter 2, in verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior is a person. Jesus came, fully God, fully human. A person who was born and lived a sinless life. Born, I mean, only mothers really get the significance of this. I mean, Jesus went through the full gambit of being human, of experiencing our lives to come and bring us this glorious message. I mean, as we read in the, the verses before this section, he's coming out all full of the birthing fluids into a dirty, sinful world. Like, this is amazing what God does. There's this quote from Kent Hughes that sums up why this is so important. The great historic doctrine of the church is that the Son of God became a real man, not just someone who only appeared to be a man. When he was born, God the Son placed the exercise of his all-powerfulness and all-presence and all-knowingness under the direction of God the Father. He did not give up those attributes, but he submitted their exercise in his life to the Father's discretion. Though he was sinless, he had a real human body, mind, and emotions, complete with their inherent human weaknesses. So this Savior came as a human. That's beautiful news. But he's also a Savior who has a title. Now, you'll notice the, the author who wrote this gospel account, this story about Jesus, mentions 
uh, that, the, that what the angel said is that for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now, this should, if you know your Bible, this should make you pay attention. Because if you look in the Old Testament, when it says city of David, it's referring to Jerusalem. So why all of a sudden is it referring to Bethlehem? This little town outside of Jerusalem. Because there's, there's a new king in town. That's why. Because it's referring back to David, who was this mighty king in Israel, but he wasn't mighty enough to be a savior. See, David was a flawed man, a deeply flawed man. He did a lot of good things. He even wrote the Psalms, a lot of them anyway. And yet, he was a sinful human just like the rest of us. He did a lot of horrible things. He wasn't the real king who was to come for God's people across the world. No, that was going to be Jesus. And so we have a prophecy in Micah 5.2 that foresaw this. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So when we see the, the title within here that Jesus is <laughs> from the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, that word Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, that all the Old Testament had been foreseen up till tonight, up up to this point. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the true and better king who has come. There's a, another quote that sums this up well as far as Jesus being Savior, Christ, and Lord. It says, it's the only time we see all the titles of Jesus brought together. Savior, Messiah, Lord. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, promised to Israel. But in that title of Savior as well, there's a need for us to be saved. And this is the story of God's people, isn't it? Where there's someone who's oppressing that they need to be saved from. Egypt oppressed Israel. Babylon oppressed Israel. And we see God, in miraculous ways, bring his people out of bondage. But those weren't the greatest bondages. See, even the people in Jesus' time were hoping that a Savior would come and get Rome off their backs as the current ruling power who was oppressing them. But Jesus came for so much more than that, that there was a bigger war at play, that there was an even greater oppressor. In Matthew 121, it also describes the birth of Jesus. It says of Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then later on, Paul in Colossians talks about this great rescue. In Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And even though I've been quoting a lot, I got one more. This one's from Mike Donaldson, who's one of our elders. Um, in a question and answer form, it says, Who am I without God's forgiveness? a rebellious slave to Satan and sin and death. And this is some of the stuff that our gospel youth are learning right now. And I think that sums it up perfectly as we look at this kind of a message, as we ask ourselves, who am I without this kind of a savior? Who am I without this kind of a king? Who am I? Well, without Jesus, I've got nothing. 
to offer on the table. This is why he had to come. This is why Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 after Adam and Eve had committed the first sin and we were relegated to death as as a humanity. And yet there's a promise within that as Jesus is talking to our ultimate oppressor, Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Jesus is that offspring. He is our savior. He has come fully human with a title, ready to free humanity from its greatest oppressor. Psalms 86.15 says, because of the kind of savior Jesus is, but you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And this is why a heavenly host then can come out behind this angel, this warrior messenger, and sing. And sing what we read here. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God. And that's the last part of the kind of savior that we see is he's a savior who brings peace. This summer we went through a group of psalms called the Song of Ascents. And when we started it, one of the things I realized was that there's one thing that everyone across this world has in common. It's that we desire peace. We're all trying to find peace of some kind. But our peace can only come from one place, true peace. It can only come from Jesus Christ, a savior who came faultlessly God and radically human. And so the first question I have is, have you treasured this message in your heart? Have you submitted your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to the fact that he's your savior? Have you come repentant, realizing, man, when you come into contact, understanding who God is, man, you realize Essentially, just how bad you really are. All of us, myself included, that we're that broken, that we're that messed up. But when we treasure this message, when we really get it, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we give him our life, which simply means putting ourselves under his authority, it's connecting our life to Jesus, saying, I'm, I'm all yours because I got nothing else. It's saying, I get my sin and I repent of it. I need forgiveness for my sin, and that can only happen because Jesus came, was born, but then he lived a life perfectly sinless, died on a cross, taking the full wrath of God so that if we put our faith in him, we can step behind his sacrifice, that we can have eternal salvation in him because he didn't stay dead. But three days later, he rose again, making a statement that he is Lord even over death. Have you treasured this message in your heart? When we, when we treasure it, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it becomes then a message worth telling. This is the last part of this story. Luke 2, 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds 
returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds treasured this message, treasured it enough and understood its worth to see it as a message worth telling. It's a message worth spreading. In verse 15, we see, let us go. Let us see. They went in haste. Why? Because of what the Lord had made known to them. What the Lord had revealed to them was enough to say, let's go. They, their actions displayed their faith. And it's a beautiful thing to see where because of this amazing message they heard and the way it was brought, it was like, yes, let's go. Now, granted, probably none of us in this room, while we're here on this earth, are going to see the kind of display that the shepherds did. We may not have this kind of display where an angel drops down in front of us to where we're flat on our face in fear and then a whole heavenly host shows up and starts proclaiming. We might not experience that. And isn't that hard at times? Isn't that where this message can become dull within our hearts, where it's really not that exciting, where, yeah, maybe there's times where we get energetic, but we can be going through some really dry times, and there's a, that's where Satan tries to attack us, tries to make this message not glorious, not something worth treasuring. We may not be able to have this same kind of intense encounter with angels, but we should have the same level of belief that the shepherds did that drives us to share this message that is worth telling. And so we see that because Jesus was radically changing them through this encounter, through this message, that they go and tell all these people, and those who heard it were wondering. And you you can explore that word a little bit more and see that they admired, they marveled, And the person who was marveling and admiring the most this message was Mary and Joseph. I mean, think about this. This is crazy. Who are the first people that that the shepherds come to and are explaining everything that's happened to them? It's Mary and Joseph. And, I mean, it's almost comical when you think about the the, the scene that's going on. It's these dirty men who barge into this stable, most likely like a cave, just after Mary had birth to a kid. And here they come in, all excited, into this you know, intimate scene of what just happened. She's probably exhausted. And yet here they have this message that's worth sharing. And it's to Mary. And consider her story. She's already had an angelic visitor who explained all these things that were to come when she found out she was pregnant, that she was the virgin who's giving birth to Jesus. It seems like she would be the last person who needs to hear this message. She already has gotten it, hasn't she? And maybe that's many of us here today that we have heard this message, especially if we've grown up in church our whole life, we've probably heard this a dozen times and we've got our little nativity scenes that we set out for our Christmas decorations And maybe we need it the most. Maybe we need to be reminded of this message. That's why this message is so critical right now. It's it's critical for me as I'm preaching it to you as much as all of us, as as we sit under God's word. And I want to encourage you that we need to treasure this message just like Mary did. That when the shepherds came in, it confirmed the promises of Jesus in what he had said. 
And that's where, that's where we get jacked up all the time, is we forget the promises that Jesus has for us in his scriptures. Promises about this message of the gospel, but it goes beyond just uh, a short paragraph about what Jesus did through his birth, death, resurrection, and second coming. It's this whole book lined with promises for a humanity that's under the tyranny of Satan, sin, and death. And we need this message constantly, day by day, moment by moment. They needed to be told again and again about this good news, and so do we. My prayer is that we can recapture what we see in this story, that in the midst of all the things that we're going through in, we, in the week or even within the Christmas season, the Christmas season can be hard, especially when we suffer through loss or we've got all sorts of things that hit us from different directions or we just might be in a funk. And we've got to go back to treasuring this message. And let that be our battle cry as we go into a new year in 2023 that we treasure this message. We live in a culture that is constantly distracted by so many different things, whether it's little techno gadgets or just all the the many messages that we get across from us all the day, from news sources and everything. And we're wondering, what can I trust and what can I believe And I want to remind you of one of the stories we started out with. That woman who was receiving all these love letters, 10,000 plus over just 40 years. And I want you to consider this word that is for us. That this written word, just the written word, is built over thousands of years of God's message being proclaimed to us, giving us hope. But even beyond that, we read in the first chapter of John that Jesus is the word. It's the word that spoke into existence all of creation. It has been speaking for eternity, this very thing. And so we we can't ignore it. We can't set it down. It has to be our treasure day in and day out. So I encourage you, let this Christmas time be a time to Cry out to God. Share this message as the heartbeat of your life. And if you're in that spot, maybe you've forgotten your first love. Maybe you've forgotten the cross. Let's get humble again, like these shepherds, to realize, man, we're really not that big of a deal. But thank God for Jesus Christ, who came for those who would humble themselves and put their trust in him. So, We're going to wrap up. I'm going to wrap up here in prayer in just a minute. But we celebrate communion every week. We do it often because we need to treasure this message. And it's wrapped up in the elements of communion. That when we take that piece of wafer out, that it represents and points to something greater. That Jesus' body was broken for us. When we take that little bit of juice, it's to remind us that his blood was shed for us. It's his message that transforms us and keeps us alive. And so we celebrate communion to treasure the message. So I encourage you, you might need to come to communion in a couple different ways. One is is with joy. Joy that the shepherds experienced, that Jesus Christ came. Worship him, celebrate him as you take communion, as we end in song. Maybe it needs to be in repentance where you realize the message has grown stale, that you haven't been treasuring it recently. And the beautiful news of the gospel is come before him. Come before his feet. 
Come and worship him. Rekindle that with him. And cry for help. Just simply cry for help. And maybe there's someone that you need to go and share this message with that has transformed your life, that you want to see them treasure it as well. We encourage you to do that. So as, as we close in prayer and worship, the communion tables are up here in the front. There's one in the back. And it's for those who have um, professed Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if you're here today and you don't know if that's true of you, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you're not sure whether this has really been a message that you've treasured with it, within your heart for salvation, please come and talk with me. Or if you just simply need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Let's close. God in heaven, um, our cry to you right now is for us to treasure this message. Thank you for the story. Thank you that you looked and came and visited these humble shepherds, Jesus. Help us to remember that we're, we're no better or worse than they are. We are all in need of you as our Savior. So I pray as, as we leave this spot today, that we leave treasuring your message, that we leave rejoicing like the shepherds did, that we would see that uh, you're not just here for a season, but your message is here for all humanity, for eternity, Jesus. So God, embolden us, mobilize us, unify us to spread this good news, this message about who you are, Jesus, and what you came to do. And God, as we end in singing, Help us also to anticipate that you are coming again, that you will come and set all wrongs right, that the cross was the first major victory, and that you will bring finality when you come again. We thank you so much for this time that we can gather as your family and celebrate you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.